Industry Pods and Evergreen Podcast Network are pleased to present the following podcast. This content is for informational purposes only. You should not construe any such information or other material as legal, tax, investment, financial, or other advice. Nothing contained on here constitutes a solicitation, recommendation, endorsement, or offer by Draper Goran Holm or any third-party service provider to buy or sell any securities or other financial instruments whatsoever. Boom! We are live. What is happening? Kevin uh, is here. So, <clears throat> everyone, welcome to What the Block. Uh, my name is Alam Gorin. I'm one of the founders of Draper Gorin Home. We've been doing this now for uh, a little while. We're on episode 11. Uh, I'd like to welcome Kevin. You've, we've, uh, he, you may be the first repeat guest, uh, but we had some news this week uh, uh, regarding Tezos. And so we wanted to bring Kevin back on. Uh, Kevin, how are you doing today? I'm doing wonderful. How are you doing? Doing, doing, doing great. Uh, you know, busy but fun week. Um, it, by the way, if you are watching live, you can comment just like Adam did uh, below right there. And I can bring you up on the screen. So if you have any questions at all, comments, whatever, start, start go wild. We'll try to get to all the questions. It's gonna be a fun day. Later today at noon uh, PST, we're also going to do a clubhouse chat um, with uh, some, some super smart people. It's gonna be awesome. That's gonna be on the DeFi club. So we have a Tezos club on clubhouse, but this will be hosted by hashtag DeFi. Because they've been around a lot longer, we want to we want to expose to the broader DeFi community, like that's, like thirty thousand followers or something. Um, that's yeah. awesome. If you're watching this, by the way, I'm just throwing this on there. Um, the best place to participate and, and ask questions and all that fun stuff are on the LA Blockchain Summit YouTube and LinkedIn. You might find this on Twitter and Periscope and all that, or you might be watching this after the fact. But if you subscribe and uh, participate there, you'll more likely get onto the feed because we're just waiting here for comments and things like that when we're talking. Um, so yeah, I'll be interviewing you. The role should be reversed. <laughs> this is this is your week. <laughs> uh, yeah. So Tezos Foundation taking a shine. Yeah. Well. Okay. So so here's here's the the real thing, right? So. Over the last year, right? Oh, this is a cool stat that we actually discovered this week about DGH. Um, actually, Kevin, talk for 10 seconds so I could grab my coffee from right there. All right. <laughs> so, stats about DGH. So, enough about Kevin. Um, <laughs> sorry, I just was watching my coffee like just out of reach, staring at me, and I needed to grab it. It's your Marco Rubio moment. <laughs> we went for his water. <laughs> um, so, okay, so you guys that, that follow me on Twitter and everywhere have seen that we've been discussing Tezos, participating in the community for, for a while now. And a lot of that stemmed from Kevin uh, over a year ago now, um, uh, participating in our last conference, and then even before that, constantly telling us, to look at Tezos, participate in Tezos. And we've known about Tezos because of Tim, of course, um, and because of uh, um, the crowd sale in 2017. And I've met uh, Kathleen in the past. And just, um, you know, uh, definitely, definitely uh, uh, 
Yes, give, give some love for Kevin for being one of the most persistent Tezos community members uh, there are. Um, what made the difference for you That's for with Tezos? So <clears throat> the things that got me excited about Tezos were, you know, okay, so we can, we can actually put probably like a date on this because I um, was constantly told by you and by other community members there's, there's all these differences and the differences in governance, the differences in, in the way the chain works and all of these things. And I understood that there's technical differences. And I also come from a school of thought that there isn't going to sort of be like one blockchain. I laugh at my friends who are, you know, Bitcoin only and talk trash about everything that's not Bitcoin. And I, and I laugh at my friends who are Ethereum only and say, you know, Ethereum is ultra sound money and Bitcoin isn't. And like all these goofy things that, you know, I believe in a world where, where everyone will be able to work together and interoperability will favor the best products. So people who aren't scared to be interoperable uh, are probably the people most confident in their products. And the Tezos community um, is, is really, really exciting, very diverse uh, around the world. Um, uh, we, we met so many incredible smart people in the Tezos community. And one thing that we actually discovered this week, I was going to say this before, before I was distracted by my coffee, was that this last year, we, uh, we, in the 2020, almost said 2012, um, <laughs> uh, just, that just shows, uh, what kind of effect the last year has had on my brain, but, um, 2000, 2020, uh, DGH was actually, I think, the second or third most active blockchain VC in terms of number of deals done. Uh, we did, I think, 12 deals in, in 2020. And if you look back, about a third of them, uh, actually, a third of them are publicly building on Tezos. And some of the others have been encouraged by us and the Tezos community to, to be experimenting and doing some other things. So we'll see what changes over this next year. But, you know, so so we've been into Tezos for a while. Like at least we, we I don't, um, you know, I want to say, I was going to say, I don't discriminate on the startup based on what chain they're building on, but I probably would if it was on something really dumb. But um, I, I, I believe that Tezos has a very, very exciting and bright future. And so, in the process of uh, making these investments in Tezos and me participating in the community myself, Joseph participating in the community himself, we started doing more research, started meeting with the various players, right? So some of our uh, uh, portfolio companies were, were contacting the, the foundation um, for, for various things. Some of our, uh, some of our friends are building cool products. So I participated with you. Like I was online that one late night and I got to be the person who, uh, who uh, did the first cross chain swap on uh, Tezdex. History making. History making. You just wanted me to pay the gas fees. <laughs> well, you know, how much have you paid in NFTs thus far? What was that? How much have you paid in NFTs thus far? How much have you bought? And oh, NFTs on Calament, or how much money that's spent on gas fees on, on Ethereum NFTs? <laughs> probably yeah. like, I've but spent thousands of NFTs. Like one of the and and you helped convince me like towards NFTs as well. Yeah. So you know this goes both ways as well. Uh, and I, I started to think about it more and more. And coming on 
uh, like these clubhouse rooms, like all about NFTs. And the crypto con that goes to show you how the crypto conversation has been dominated by NFTs lately. It's like, oh, you know what? Store of value means a lot of things. And when you get it to the individual level, it's like, you know, it means something more to you. It, it, it puts identity and how you identify with something to an NFT as opposed to a one size fits all model. I didn't realize that until I heard this one guy say something very specific, which I thought was a very narrow scope, but that helped me understand. He said, uh, it's like, cause he was talking about like uh, these childhood, like action figure characters that were becoming NFTs. And the yeah. way he said it was now, all of your favorite childhood cartoons can become NFTs and you can buy that. And, and it's like, well, that's not what, just what NFTs, but then I'm thinking like, wait, why is he saying it's so narrow? Oh yeah, that's the point. It is that personal. And it, that guy's gonna kill out a lot of money for those things and everyone's gonna have their own thing. Oh, this is a real, this is much wider, I think, than we even anticipate yet. Well, I think it goes to like two important things. One, uh, just talking about like collectibles and what you're discussing. My, my son, uh, you know, and my kids, their elementary school age, don't see much of a difference between a, uh, uh, a digital good and a real good. They play games on, on the iPad or on the computer. Pokemon cards versus a Pokemon on Pokemon Go is not much different to them. So, and they also don't, there isn't any wall at all. We probably don't have that wall anymore either. And even people our parents' age don't have as big of a wall thanks to Apple probably, but it's still weird to spend money on something on your phone that's virtual. Like, you know, uh, it's it's still weird for, for a lot of people, but well, not the kids. I, I still look, I think I've burned in my mind like several months after the iPad came out. Uh, and I, it's, you probably still can find it on YouTube. There were compilations of babies. Like they put magazines, magazines, yeah. just paper magazines in front of babies. And then they're trying to swipe, swipe. through because they don't like they, they don't and they don't understand. <laughs> like what? And it's just like, oh, my God. That's how intuitive it is, right? Into. Yeah. So, so that's, that's the first thing, right? Like the, the digital versus real world is no different to people who are internet technology natives, like iPhone native people, right? People are born with it. So, so there's that. And then the second part of it, which is really uh, probably even more important is the whole point of the internet, like right? the whole point of the internet, at least in my opinion and the web and internet communities and social media is that, Everyone is weird, right? Everyone is different. Everyone has their own thing. Not maybe, maybe some people less than others, but I'm super into a specific genre of punk rock, right? And if I went to my high school uh, in the year 2000, right before I graduated, and I looked around, there were probably 20 to 40 kids at my school that are into something similar to me, right? And then I could expand and I go, oh, well, there's like four other high schools within driving distance of me or within, you know, a distance that I know. And so that that makes it instead of 40 people, uh, you know, uh, 160 people, right? And then I get my driver's license or I graduate high school and I go to college and I can meet even more people. And all of a sudden it's a thousand people, right? But the internet does that from your computer on day one and you can find all those people, whether they're in, and that's what, I, I wrote something about this uh, back in the day when I worked at MySpace, it was dating me a little bit, but like, you know, I could 
I found bands that I thought were epic in the Philippines that I never would have found by going to a record outlet on Thousand Oaks Boulevard and looking through their crates, right? Like yeah. that, that's not possible. And so the internet allows this. So if I'm into a specific type of art and I think that what Kevin makes is amazing, but I'll never meet Kevin by going to art galleries or walking down. Uh, I'm lucky I'm in Southern California, so there's a lot of artists in Venice. So walking up and down, you know, uh, uh, what's that street? Abbott Kinney or something, some hipster place in Venice, and I get to meet artists and whatever. I'm never gonna find Kevin if Kevin happened to be in Amsterdam, right? But now the internet exists and now digital exists and I can support Kevin, whether I'm in that. It seems very narrow to me, but you but don't it's narrow when you add in the six billion other people on earth. Yeah, like, I mean, to, to have like a competitive market, putting in the economic sense of like, like to, to have like a limited number of things. What does this guy say? Sorry. <laughs> I thought this was funny. Throwback to, to Kevin. A couple weeks ago, uh, for people that listen to the podcast, a couple weeks ago, uh, I was reading the back of a cereal box and unconsciously I tried to swipe it. The struggle is real. That's right. But like, you don't need that many people. Like, if it's like maybe a thousand people or so that are really interested in this collector set, that's like there's a couple dozen of, like, they're really into it. You know, like, that's really all you need to, to buy something you know, for it to appreciate in value, for it to sell. It's the anticipation that maybe that they would grow into a larger community. And, and they wouldn't have to grow that much. There's going to be millions of people, you know. Art, art is also one of those things where, yes, there's people that are buying auctions and Beeple art for $69 million or whatever, and then other art for thousands of dollars and things like that. And there's goofy things like CryptoPunks and... Uh, uh, the Pepe ones and all these, all these silly, uh, uh, what was that one? Twerky Pepe and things like that that are just so ridiculous, but funny that are just fun, right? So there's some things that are fun, some things that people buy as a collector's item because they want to sell it 10 years from now. And then there's most of it is just, you know, I think if you're doing it right, I, I don't, I don't really love the idea of speculating on it and all that, but I do love the idea of buying art because you think it's meaningful to you and you think it's really cool and you yeah. either connect with the person who created it, you connect with the art and, and whatever, right? And if it appreciates in value, you can decide later what to do with it or if you need that money or whatever. Yeah. But I've never bought a piece of art for my house. At my parents' house, we have lots of art. We create a lot of art like growing up in my house and never thought in my life that I was gonna buy a, a piece of art to sell, right? And that's my personal feelings on it, but there's so many others, right? And that's kind of the whole point of this. There's marketplaces, yeah. there's opportunities here that, but I think the most important part of the opportunity, Simon, and then we should go back to Tezos. Yeah, we got to finish here. Is the artist's ability. This is the whole point of crypto and decentralization in a borderless world, right? The artist having full control of what they want to do here. There aren't gatekeepers. There aren't uh, record labels. There aren't art galleries who, um, who, uh, who take an exorbitant amount of funds. There are some, like some curate because that's an important part of communities curation and stuff that's okay but it's not you know there's no control taken away from the artist and the the benefit of potential royalties later are also just mind-blowing an artist that creates something really cool doesn't get a piece of that auction when it goes up for auction um 10 years later doesn't get a piece of secondary sales a musician creates their album, does their thing, and you know, other than the record label's main sales, they don't get 
money when when it's when you pass uh, when it's sold at a record store or when that special intermediation. What was that? It's intermediation. That's right. Intermediaries. I think the difference for me that like the thing I had to get past was, and I was thinking on such an economic scale. Well, it needs to be. We need to have a full service model like Getty Images or Shutterstock or whatever, and these things can be licensed that people can monetize. And then, but then it's like, 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 wait a minute. No, this is not like, like I, you know, yes, we're changing the experience to like it can be digital and not physical. We did that with books. We did that with movies. You don't have to have a hard copy, whatever that means. Uh, and the, the difference with the the digital art, the NFT art, is that the ownership itself is the experience. You can't really say the same thing about a book you get that you know is on your Kindle for free or that you necessarily paid for or or whatever. It's like while you're reading it, you're consuming it. Same thing with the movie you watched or whatever. You know the thing that was lost. I mean, I have some books uh, um, that are like important to me because I used to go and buy books. Like my parents used to like to go like drive around Southern California and different places and go to antique places. And as a kid, it wasn't that exciting to me for the most part. But when there was a used bookstore, I'd go in and I would buy an Isaac Asimov book of short stories. And what's crazy is I have a few copies of. Um, I'm such a nerd. Um, but the uh, but the the thing that's that's um, cool about these. These things is all of like iRobot, for example, like one of his most famous uh, books, is just a collection of short stories. It's not like a story from beginning to end. So there's various editions of these. So it's not the world. I don't, I have no idea if any of these are worth anything. They're probably not worth a cent, uh, but I, I would spend five, 10 bucks buy this thing. And it was special to me. I also have a book that I found one time in a library and then I went on eBay and I found somebody selling it as a book that looks like an encyclopedia. And you can look this up online, it's pretty cool, called Folk Songs of North America. And it basically like broke down the country into different segments of geography, into different segments of people, migrant workers, slave songs, all these different songs. And I had this book of all the lyrics and music and things like that. And I wasn't even that good. I'm still not good at playing guitar, but I love this book because it's special that it's this one book. It's not in print anymore because publishers started realizing they should sell songbooks in smaller numbers so they could sell more books. Back then, though, they would have an encyclopedia size one book with all the songs in it, right? So I had this pride of ownership, but that's one thing that was lost in digital, right? Now you just buy the Kindle copy of uh, Rodney Sampson's book, Kingonomics, and I have it on my Kindle, and I don't have the physical copy anymore, and you know that that's it, right? So you don't really think about it, you don't feel it. But with NFTs, there's the scarcity, there's the thing. And that actually leads to one difference that I loved in Tezos uh, NFTs. Um, something that you can do on Tezos NFTs is when you create editions of an NFT, there's the ability to know which like serial number or which edition you have and even have the ability for the editions to be slightly different. And what that does is that even though there could be a thousand of uh, uh, the Tezos logo behind you made by Kevin because maybe he made it a little different, whatever, and he made his own NFT of it, there might be a thousand, but I might have number 14 of a thousand or number 77 of a thousand. And that's not where it's that special, that's cool. It's fun having number one. It's fun having a certain number that's important to you. But what you can do is now think about gaming or think about experiences. 
if you can verify that there's one out of a thousand, then I know that Kevin had the one out of a thousand. What if Kevin gifted that one out of a thousand to Arthur, uh, Arthur Brightman, one of the founders of, of Tezos, and then Arthur, you know, gave it to me as a gift, thanking me for something. And now you can actually see that that one went from Arthur to me and all that. And it's like, this is the one that Kevin gifted to Arthur originally. And that's some special feeling for me. And that's some special thing. Then on top of it, think about gaming. Now in games, card games and video games and things like that. Imagine if the sword that I'm using in the game is an NFT or the card I'm using, like a magic style game is, is an NFT. And I know exactly which one's which. And Kevin and I uh, have this, we do, we do a Tezos like tournament of champions of this game. And, Tezo, and Kevin and I end up in the championship game. And I use this specific NFT, even though there's thousands of them in existence, this specific one is the one that I use to beat Kevin in the final blow. Can I auction that one off? And is that worth more? I think it is, right? Um, so that's something you could do on Tezos that like the normal uh, ERC uh, uh, 1155 contract doesn't allow you to do. You can see my son made a uh, 1,000 poopoo.eth uh, membership card NFTs on 1155. I can see that I own one out of the 1,000 and that's cool, but I can't see which number out of 1,000. And mm -hmm. if it's transferred a bunch of times, we don't know that Kevin has the first one. You can trace it back and do some things and you can see parts of that, but you don't know and then the game I play it on or something like that can't um, attribute extra things to it and do certain things where you could like see stats of that particular one. This exact card has been used 1,000 times to play this many games. It has a, uh, it's batting 500 in the game, right? Or whatever. And, and you that's what's really couple cool. that with the, like the expectation of united continuity that the on-chain governance provides. It's like, it's one thing to have continuity in blockchain, but it's another for it to be united. And well, yeah, that's that's getting to, to a whole different that's getting to to a whole different topic. So so something okay if you're not collector items like for me to imagine that like I want to know that this is like a united and continuous blockchain that this is like as singular as I would take like well you know like especially that's, that's not true. Well, with something like Ethereum I don't like if we're being if we're being honest I don't think that we're we're um, we I don't have the thought that. Ethereum is going to go away at some point. No, I really don't believe that. So I feel like it's safe. But most NFTs, because of Ethereum's fees and certain things, are going on to uh, side chains, are going on to uh, separate networks like NBA Top Shots. It's on its own network. They're doing really well today. But what if five years ago from now they go out of business? Will that blockchain still exist? Will I still have that collectible? Uh, I don't know. That's actually an interesting thought. I haven't thought about that much. To me, it's not like I don't have anything against the, the different approach. Uh, it's not like that reason that I couldn't like it's not that I couldn't get behind Ethereum before Tezos came around It wasn't because it's like oh, I don't think this will like necessarily be around or anything It was more that these technologies keep getting superseded We have all these hard forks and everything and that approach is very valuable I completely saw the logic and appreciated and still appreciate the fact that anybody can hard fork a blockchain Take innovation in any direction they want with a different blockchain that communities can start to, to just go off and any any thought that appears in your mind, you can just add it by, by breaking off and going in a different direction. We need that. If it weren't for that, we would lose out on so much inspiration, so much innovation that could be coming in. We need that. But at the same time, if it's all that, then we lose a lot of the momentum that the cohesion 
provides us. So there's always that iOS to the Android. And a lot of people hate that analogy. A lot of people love it. Okay, I just know someone's listening. Like, that's not you. This is not like it. Like, oh, I get it. I know. I know. I know. Okay, but in in this sense, it's like, well, there's something valuable there too. There's always a trade-off, and and having that expectation of unity, it means something to a lot of people, and it means something to entrepreneurs to know, like, to and to financial institutions to know, like, where your product is headed. That the floor, you know, will always be stable, not subject to earthquakes. Uh, that, so, that's, so there's something there's something to that. So let's let's like unpack it for a second because I when when I did my last company, um, my partner uh, uh, decided to build the technology on .NET, and I remember a lot of the people we were looking to hire as um, engineers, and then some people in the in the communities of you know tech communities were like why the hell aren't you building it this on open source technology? What's like, what are you guys doing? But we were building product for, uh, uh, for the enterprise. And we were trying to sell to groups like American Express and financial institutions and people like that. And the CEOs of those companies, especially back then, uh, uh, you know, about 10 years ago, would see .NET and be happy. Because in their minds, they could call up somebody at Microsoft and be like, shit's broken, I need your help. What are they going to do when, if we as a service provider them, like ghost them, if there's a problem or we can't fix something, what are they gonna like hop into the, you know, Rails, Ruby on Rails message board and be like, right. hey, uh, can anybody quickly help me, right? Right. It doesn't work that way, right? So so this, you know, maybe that this, uh, uh, and I'm saying maybe because I don't know for sure, but, but I love your opinion and then maybe people in the community can uh, educate me even more. This might be a step between those things, right? It's still open source. It's still a large community, but there is a more solid foundation um, and less you know, chaos uh, uh, here than let's say Ethereum, just as an example. But at the same time, there are groups on Ethereum, just like there's groups on Tezos like Consensus or on Tezos, there's like TQ, um, who who could be that bridge for the enterprise, right? Like all, like it, it. I think this is, to me, this is part of Arthur's genius and the concept. And I, he's too humble to take any too much credit. Like if he only takes like early architect as a title, like very humble, like that's one of the things I love about him and everything too. But like in the white paper, you know, I mean, like I remember reading it for the first time and I was like, oh my God, he cracked it. <laughs> like we can have a decentralized ecosystem. You don't have any figurehead. It's completely run by the community, yet nonetheless, like it's united. It, you know, and, and of course we couldn't start in, in smart contract protocols that way. Of course Ethereum couldn't have started uh, with that in mind, it, it had to come after the thought, after we've had all this iteration and uh, uh, exploration and all of that, especially because the hacker community, you know, the, which is where everything always starts, the tech community is, uh, you know, of developers is where everything starts. It is very like, no, 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 let's just, let's be so free form that we could just go off in a million directions if we want to and need to. Um, and yeah, so, but <laughs> like, but it's like, wow, we, we could do this. We could have a united, democracy yet at the same time not be an entity yet at the same time still be like stay a united blockchain but be so diversified that we're this living breathing organism that's just composed of uh, a distributed uh, a network of people all over the world that can constantly grow and the expectation that that will be around draws in more people you know and draws in more teams uh that's just 
thinking about this, uh, uh, playing devil's advocate for a second here, um, Tezos is still open source, right? Yeah, you could, you so, could be hard work if you wanted to, but. So, so I could, I could technically uh, okay. download the source and let's say like, somebody uh, in the community that's way more technical than me. Like, let's say we got Mike, right? <laughs> I don't know, I'm using him as an example because he's been helping me so much on cool uh, data and things like that. And by the way, let's give him a plug. Uh, he's one of the folks who built uh, Aranax and uh, Kinsei, which, which allows you to kind of grab index data from the blockchain and do some really cool things. Um, so check that out, he's a part of Cryptonomic. Um, yeah. and, and Vishak, of course. Um, so, uh, uh, am I saying his name right, by the way, Vishak? Vishak? We'll ask him today. He's, he's on the thing at noon, right? Yes. Okay, we'll ask him today so I don't butcher his name anymore. That'll be the hardline question. So, so where, where am I going to go? So, like, what if I grab Mike and be like, Mike, Tezos is doing it wrong. We could do our own version of this. Like, let's, like, almost like Wax. Wax is the NFT art sort of blockchain. They're a fork of, of EOS, right? You don't have to say anything about EOS. We don't have to go there. But, like, the, but like let's say we want to do, like, we think Tezos is perfect for NFTs, but we don't want the rest of it. We don't want to, we don't even need it to be decentralized. Screw it. Well, let's do our own thing. So let's copy EOS. We can do that, right? I mean, copy Tezos. So we can do that. So does yeah. that kill the argument of this not hard forkable thing? But you need a network that's going to back it. And since ideologically from the ground up, these no like people have tried that from very early on to do it. Uh, and the, like the uh, Arthur and, and others that were very uh, you know early on in the project, they're like, no, that's ridiculous. Node operators aren't going to aren't going to back this, and they didn't. It didn't ever work out. It but work. you need it. But like, what if you don't have any uh, vision? I, I guess. I guess where I'm getting at is you can't. It's so there's still it's 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 it goes. It I can I can argue against your statements of the United Front, but from the beginning, where one of the benefits, one of the reasons why I love the Tezos community is there is an actual diverse global community with an obsession towards Tezos. And and great people, right? Like I, one of the things actually, one of the things um, I'll, I'll give another little shout out here is we were already talking to you and most likely going to be working with you and all these things, but we yeah. didn't, you know, the specifics weren't there yet, and I was still learning a lot about Tezos. Uh, when I went uh, a little over a year ago, now it was pre-Corona. I went to um, we went to Europe for an event, and then we stopped in Israel for uh, Tel Aviv FinTech Week, and I, I spoke on a panel there. And I went out to uh, grab some dinner one of the nights, and I uh, met up with um, one of the folks from Tezos Israel, um, uh, Alex Davis. Um, and Alex dropped all sorts of knowledge on me that night. We, we, uh, we all went out, we got shawarma, it was like a fun time. Uh, Matty, uh, Matty Greenspan met up with us. Like it was just this, this chaotic, fun night. Uh, and um, and all sorts of crypto people that are based in Israel came around, but Alex really dropped a lot of knowledge about what made Tezos a better uh, a public network for security tokens, and got to meet him. And so I've met, and then you know, now in this last year on you know Corona times and virtual meetings, I've met people around the world. Right? We we even you know we made an investment in Calament, and they're based in India. I spent time uh, a little bit with um, with uh, Nelly, uh, who's based in Africa. We've um, 
uh, Adele, who's here in Nashville, has spent a bunch of time and educated me on all these different Tesla's community people he's met around the world in the developing nation. So, like, I, I, I love that. And I haven't really had those conversations with people on, on Ethereum and other networks. It's, it, it, the, that's another thing. The, the on-chain governance and, and expectation of unity and, and continuity, it affords the community the ability to expand into localities that are quite often, quite frankly, neglected uh, by blockchain projects that not that they not that they don't care to do this, but that when, you know, the the name of the game at the moment is to just shine, get the attention quickly in, in the high impact areas. Okay, we're talking London and uh, New York and LA and all these, you know, and uh, Tokyo, you know, go all around the world uh, in the like just the most like let's say prominent blockchain areas. Yeah. Uh, but then it's like, yeah, yeah, we'll get to the other areas eventually. It's like, well, if you're all doing that, you're crashing into each other for one thing, but also like, aren't we, and more importantly, aren't we better off with, by using the culmination of intelligence of all of humanity? That's what this is. That's, that's how open source benefits all of humanity. We don't have to be separated by language or culture or geography. Why aren't we harvesting this? You know, uh, and, and I think especially that's one of the things maybe we learned in this COVID era is that geography doesn't really matter so much uh, for uh, for many cases with regard to productivity. And I think in particular in blockchain development, look at all we accomplished in the blockchain community during COVID. Look where we are now in crypto, look how much more prominent we were than a year ago uh, and successfully just numerically and everything else. All of that was ramped up during quarantine, COVID and all that, where it's even still raging and, and, and raising in many parts of the world today. Um, you know, uh, so like that, that's where I think we're, we're really, one of the areas we're gonna really shine is when we start uh, showing that like, look, look at all these localities where Tezos is. Like I think that's going to make a lot of uh, a difference. I think in the hearts and minds of individuals. But um, yeah. So yeah. But circling back, it's the ecos. I mean, it's the ethos of the ecosystem that really it's what keeps us united. Because we could you could put up a, a, a protocol proposal, like an upgrade proposal, that's like, hey, let's just all screw this on-chain governance thing. Um, and by the way, everybody, uh, send money to me you know, and, and nobody else, and, and it's, but no one's gonna adopt it. It's a democracy yeah. here. So, and people have come to this, the ecosystem because they believe in it. Like that's part of coming into it. It's a culture of, uh, that, that's diverse uh, and takes many directions, but fundamentally agrees that, hey, we're better together. Yeah. Uh, that is yeah. the most beautiful part beyond any piece of technology, like past, present, future, because that's what leads to everything else. You know, people will be up and down in other things all the time. There will be new technology features that some random new blockchain will make or whatever. Um, and, and that's why we also get to say uh, your blockchain is our testnet. You know, sounds very arrogant, um, but, but there's you know, it's like, yeah, we'll okay. you and we'll bring you into the fold. You know, Look, I think that that saying, saying all these things uh, leads to something that that's very commonly known uh, from from outsiders looking at Tezos in that. The Tezos community uh, uh, is very thoughtful, right? In the governance side of things and the features they bring and, and even the companies building on it um, are very thoughtful in the way they do things and much more thoughtful, right? Than, than some of these other communities that are sort of YOLOing it, right? Yeah. But, but I will say that there's, that's a double-edged sword, right? 
Because of that, there hasn't been as many projects. Like to this week, uh, which is really exciting, the second uh, um, Dex launched on um, on on Tezos. You know, shout out to QuipuSwap and and Dexter, who was the first one, um, and and that's really really cool. But like we're we're years behind other networks in in some of these products being built. That's changing now. What's do you, I, I have some ideas and responses to this, but I'd like to get your uh, your your thoughts on on that. Yeah, well, for one thing, I mean, having a second DEX is a very big deal. It's more important than like it's bigger than the sum of uh, the two parts uh, because now you have two uh, areas where you get a parallel liquidity pools. Um, and then before, the only type of arbitrage you had before was just like the price arbitrage. Uh, and often you were like, if you're just trading on that exchange where it's the one place to trade these tokens, uh, whatever tokens you're going after, it's like, okay, you know, I'm holding a bag and then hopefully the price will turn around and then I can sell for the other thing, maybe bring it to a centralized exchange and then liquidate that, uh, you know, come in, come around somewhere else, get, get the tokens I came in with before, uh, in a bigger supply, repeat the cycle. Um, and it was very limited, but, and like the depth was limited. So maybe it wasn't worth somebody's time. But now it's like, well, you don't have to do that. You can do, you can go through certain arbitrage cycles just on Tezos and only on Tezos because you can go from and see like, hey, this is the price of this pairing on Dexter. Oh, it's different on QuipuSwap. That's yeah. an arbitrage opportunity. You can do something. You can you can make a gain in that instant, and that would keep them balanced. Um, yeah. uh, that that expects efficient markets. But from what I've learned, uh, especially the last several months of just every day promoting people go on Dexter, is that uh, you know these early markets are not uh, uh, as efficient as we think they are. There's more opportunity than you think uh, if you want to make that arbitra arbitrage play, make those plays, uh, play that game. Um, so I think more participation will start to come in now, now that there are these multiple competitive markets. Uh, the next thing I'd like to see, though, is it, we get some trackability features so that CoinGecko, CoinMarketCap, uh, so they could start listing these tokens and these exchanges. Uh, for a lot of people, if, you're, if your token is not listed on CoinMarketCap or CoinGecko, your token does not exist. It's not, it's not, it doesn't, not real. What the hell are you trying to sell? You know? well, also the, so there's also separate from that is um, the stats don't quite yet exist on chain. So like um, Mike did some cool stuff and share some stats that he could pull from Aranax um, and, and you can do things like that if you want to go manual or look for it. But, you know, like uh, Dexter has their stats page, which is pretty rudimentary, but there's enough stats there at least for you to get some data. QuipuSwap doesn't have that yet. And then we need one with, with combined, uh, uh, you know, data, right? So okay. that, that goes my idea I had yeah. during. Mike, I want to throw in, because if you see that, uh, I posted like a chart about the, the uh, yeah. sales on Here and Now exchange, uh, Here and Now uh, marketplace for NFTs. If you notice on the 15th, there was this massive drop. That's because it went down. The site went down that day because it was using a source that couldn't handle all the requests. Mike saved the day. Okay, he yeah. switched to Ticket Sale JS uh, to get the data, and then that's what brought them the, the ability to keep going and then cool. even their previous that's, high. That's, that's what happens too with scale, and that's why more products need to launch because then more scalable solutions start to be used. People used the basic sort of um, API for uh, Better Call Dev, which is great, and it's a great site as a block explorer, but it's not necessarily right. meant. You don't pull data like that for um, all sorts of um, uh, uh, 
information when it comes to like NFTs and certain things. Whole sites shouldn't be run off of, for example, the Etherscan API. That, that's the equivalent. People don't do that. What they do is they use a product like Rivet, one of our portfolio companies on, on Ethereum, and it's essentially very similar to what Kansai is doing. They index the data in a way that makes it easier for people, the companies who build dApps to, to launch their products on it. Yeah. And that's what, what's happening now as their scale. And you know these products being launched, I think the exciting, there's a couple exciting things that, that I think the DEX this week did was one, the arbitrage stuff that you're talking about. So you can go and check like, oh crap, I could get USD Tez for a little bit cheaper there. Or I could take my USD Tez and swap it for ETH Tez a little cheaper there and go back and forth. And it creates uh, uh, you know, just more activity. And, um, uh, you know, and I think that one of the things that's really exciting too is that people are participating on chain on Tezos now. So, you know, there is, uh, there's this, this, you know, with the NFT marketplace, marketplaces that are launched now on, on Tezos, people are actually for the first time taking their Tezos wallets and actually interacting on chain, which before the only thing they did was delegate to a baker. That's it. That's all there was to do. So all of a sudden, there's things to do, and and that's where I won't, you know, that's where I'm getting excited. And I think people should experiment more. People should YOLO. When I launched the NFTZ.fun website, I had a bunch of our friends be like, "Dude, aren't you scared? Somebody's gonna post something on there that's inappropriate. Somebody's gonna do this. Don't you want to moderate it? Don't you want to do this?" And I was like, "It's it's the internet." And in big bold letters, I wrote, "This is an experiment. And if somebody ruins our fun by doing that, I'll have to take it down. I'll have to figure it out." But like nobody's gonna be mad at me, and if they are, like this is the internet. That's the whole point, right? Like nobody was mad at YouTube. Permissionless. Inappropriate got posted. They got mad at YouTube when they did nothing about it. You know, after the fact. Yeah. So, so you know, like, but but people need. I think like we need that thoughtful mentality because that's really important. That separates what what Tezos is compared to maybe other networks. But we need a few more entrepreneurs to yolo it a little bit to motivate because. Yeah. You know, uh, it, the products are never going to be perfect. There's always going to be more and changes and V2s and V3s and V4s or just constant iterations, just like tech companies. So it's, I, I think it's really exciting. But what's extra cool also I want to throw out there about this week, we don't have a ton more time, but like. You got to um, uh, find out what you do with Tezos Foundation and you. I don't think we, we honed in that point yet. We yeah we can we can go there. Uh, but but what I want to say really quick is is Quipu Swap for example what they did Dexter I think did the right thing being the first one out there they uh, they sort of um, they decided to moderate it right and at least in their public face oh you know everything's open source and you could create your own take their contracts and do your own thing uh, but on their website you only saw the trading pairs that they saw. And uh, and that makes sense at the beginning, right? And and I think I, I hope they change that a little bit and, and make it a little bit more open soon. But regardless, um, QuipuSwap launched with the ability for anyone to add their own token to it. So while we were on the last DeFi roundup uh, that that you did, I actually took a token that I created and I put a hundred or a thousand of them onto QuipuSwap with one uh, Tez as the opposite side of the, of the pool. And as an experiment, I made it available so people could actually buy this random thing, this pointless NFT that I created. But, the, but what's cool about that is like now all of a sudden, 
there is uh, there's another way to distribute an NFT, and there's a way to create price discovery for it, right? No, so I was thinking about this, and I was trying to to, to decide. Uh, I was going to try and explain it to my son, but like just as a random example, imagine the 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 poo poo uh, membership card NFTs. What if that was in a uh, a in a liquidity pool? And that means every time somebody purchases one of these NFTs, the price of the remaining NFTs would go slightly up. And if you don't want it anymore, you can put it back in that pool and there's always going to be a price of getting your money back. Now you're creating brand new pricing mechanisms for artists, right? And the only thing I think that's gonna, that's slowing that down for this moment is uh, a very simple a API, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, very simple uh, API. Uh, so I'm looking at the comments. I'll throw some of them on the screen in a second um, to add that to your own website. So imagine if I went and created, you know, like poopoo.tez website, and on that website I made it simple to connect your uh, Tezos wallet and and interact because it shouldn't be up to QuipuSwap to add all of these things to their user interface. They should. Right because they're just too, too much trash and too much ridiculousness, right? Like they don't want the stupid Elon experiment token to be live on their website for everyone to be confused and look at it and think it's a real project. But, you know, that's what's gonna happen next, right? Like think about the DeFi projects on Ethereum. They all have um, some way for you to add liquidity to their pool add, and earn rewards or do something like that, right? So imagine um, one of the projects on Tezos being able to do that but you know, at the beginning, QuickBooSwap shouldn't add all of them to, to their interface. But now everyone can very easily do that. You don't have to actually interact with the smart contract. They're not actually adding anything. It's all people adding tokens. Like they've been very key uh, about that. Uh, yeah. So and hopefully, like it'll. You know, I mean, I'm sure there'll be people trying to copycat and um, you know, putting coins that aren't like legitimately those coins. Like that. That's been an issue on Uniswap. Um, you know, we're at a, a very early position now, but I think we'll, I, I think we'll, you know, we can, we can learn. Like, like you said, the test net thing, we can learn. Here's two things now I think people should build. And I don't know if these are companies in themselves, but just cool open source things that I'd be happy to contribute to and try to help with. I want to still do that thing. We, we kind of, um, uh, uh, I kind of had that idea during one of our uh, roundups, which was a central place. Um, I think I have, uh, I forgot what domain names I bought for it, that I want to contribute to this, but it was like, it was something like um, assets, but with TZ and at the end of assets.com or something like that, or .io or something like that, or just like DeFi dashboard.tez, eventually when the .tez domains come up. probably have a Tezos dot something for you. I want to be able to connect my wallet and not just see the tokens like you can in a regular uh, wallet, and this isn't really the job of a normal wallet anyway. I want to have a dashboard that shows how much I have in the Calibri pool, how much um, liquidity I have on Dexter for the USD Tez uh, and ETH.Tez uh, liquidity pools. I want to see how much liquidity I have on, um, on QuipuSwap now. Now there's actual a bunch of products that have these things and different sort of mechanisms and actually see the value of my wallet separate from just the token values. And that's one project. And then the next thing I think somebody should build is that simple interface for a swap pool that, that lives on a different website. Like uh, I wanna just have my uh, 
Poopoo token Tezos pool in one widget on my website that people can connect to without seeing all the rest of the PoopooSwap stuff. It's, it, that's all open source. It's all easily available through the smart contracts and stuff. Somebody can do this. So I, give you, I mean, I, you know, there could be a lot of stuff that they're about to put out with Kubernetes because it just it just came out. Yeah. So, I mean, but it doesn't need to be QuickuSwap. That's yeah. the idea. That's the the good thing about Ethereum. And all once there is a this this massive movement of developers and people building, is that like I can go if I search, you know, Ethereum NFTs or eleven fifty five tokens on GitHub. I'll find hundreds of repositories with bits of uh, snippets of code that I can use to, to do things. And there is that with, with Tezos now, you know, with, with some of these projects, like really, there's a lot of great stuff on the TQ website. There's a lot of great stuff on, um, uh, if you go from TQ to the um, uh, DAO base to home base or whatever, you can, you can start seeing how DAOs would work. There's all these different things, right? There's little pieces on the Kinsei uh, and Aranax um, uh, GitHub, actually. I got a lot of really, really good stuff the last few weeks. And so I just want a bunch of these people. I want like individuals, like, you know, people like me who have a real job during the day, but at night are like, I want to launch this thing and start goofing around. To I want more of those in the community that will share fun stuff that just, again, all these things just create innovation. Yeah. So, and so all these projects that you want to see happening that you could fund with Draper Gore and Home. Have there been any news this week that perhaps could aid in that campaign? So yeah, the, the news was that, uh, you know, it, it was reported in, in two ways, you know, like when, when you put out a press release, uh, uh, people, people uh, uh, sometimes misreport it, sometimes just pick an angle and go, I don't think anybody really misreported anything this week, uh, which is fun. Uh, it's always fun when you have like an interview and then like the quotes are like completely different than what you meant to say, and maybe they just wrote it down so they wrote it wrong. Uh, but but this was great, um, and there were sort of two angles of the stories. The story of Draper going home uh, is going to start investing in Tezos companies, and then uh, the Tezos Foundation invested in Draper going home. And a few people are like, oh. The Tezos Foundation invested in Draper Dorn Home so that they could invest in more Tezos projects, which is true, but they came from that angle. And what it looked like was like, oh, without the Tezos Foundation, we wouldn't have been participating in this space. So that's why I started by bringing up the fact that last year we were one of the most active crypto VCs in the world or blockchain VCs in the world. And that a quarter of those companies were Tezos native companies. So that happened last year before I ever talked to Arthur about the foundation. And Arthur actually had nothing to do with us investing yeah. uh, um, or getting the investment because he joined the board after we already started that conversation. Right. But uh, just trying to be super transparent because uh, we're in his space and why not? But what the Tezos Foundation is amazing for doing is they, they do support companies that are already building on Tezos. They're not sort of like going out there and pushing companies that aren't building on Tezos to build on Tezos. They're taking people who are already doing amazing things and supporting them in various ways. And so that's how we kind of got lucky. We're so early in investing. And so, you know, Tezos Foundation is a small part of our funds. They invested in it. And what's awesome about it is now we have even more uh, uh, firepower to invest in companies building on Tesla. So we're, we were already doing it anyway, and now we're going to do it more. That's what's really, really exciting to me. And they, that's what they're 
good at and getting even better at over time is that finding the people building cool things on this network and supporting them and you know various in various ways right and i can't think of anyone that like that i know got even a grant from the tezos foundation that hadn't started doing something independently first um many many months ago yeah. and we never had a penny like made usd tez eth tez tezx all of this without a penny from the foundation not even asked for uh you know now we have uh, you know something with the financial audits that's something that they're covering and we're talking about other stuff but you know that like all this stuff have to happen first so and i i like that about the tezos foundation i like that it's more okay you know let it come from the ground let it you know because there are i know i've seen a lot of foundations out there for blockchain protocols um, I'm not going to say name specific or anything, but and teams that are just like no, like the work starts with like well, if we get a grant, it's yeah. Like, um, well, that's, well, that's the thing, right? You don't want a network of people who are paid to be there. You want a network of people who want to be there, and yeah. then you want to support that, just like anything else, right? Like a mercenary is a mercenary, and they have no no uh, allegiances, right? And. <laughs> like you know they have to work full-time you know they're not necessarily in a, a position economically or, or in their life that they could just uh you know take to something to do work for free or bootstrapped uh and then or or get investments because which also takes some of the prior work uh, uh and then to then ask for a grant totally but there are things you can do for free you know you could build up a mailing list of interest that that's a lot of credibility you know, if you can show up like a virtual community of people that are really behind a thing and talking all the time and like just there's, there's a lot that can be done for free. You know, we, we invest in companies and we invest in people and it's always, you know, uh, we, we sort of have uh, uh, a path and they is as loose and crazy as we might seem online and as I might be bouncing off the walls and uh, and one way on Twitter and one way on LinkedIn, one way at events in real life. And, um, you know, I'm one way, Joseph, my partner is another way, Tim Draper is a different way. We all complement each other. Uh, and, but we do have a path, right? We, we, we go from our venture studio, which is super pre-seed. A lot of times it's the first check that's into companies and being that first check, we, we we're mostly focused on the people that are running these companies. Uh, but we want to see that there's some traction, that there's things done. You know, anybody can come up with a cool idea and uh, be inspired and put together a cool deck, and we could love that person. But where, how do you take it to the next level? It's either you built something because you're an engineer and you were able to build it and get something going. Maybe you're more on the business side, so you launched a website, you got people to sign up, you showed people showed interest, you you started to get some traction. But it's 2021. You don't necessarily have to be a full stack engineer to start getting traction and do things. There's so many tools out there to get started. And I want to see somebody be scrappy and get things going and get things done. You know, again, I don't expect like two people with an idea to have a launched website with all these things. They could though. Um, uh, and that's great. That's, that's even better. But, but you just want to see that the people are doing things right. And, and that, that's, that's, that's really, really important. Yeah. Um, something, let's, let's just really quickly, somebody asked a, a question really quickly about STOs. We only got like two minutes because I've got to hop to uh, another meeting and, and wrap things up too. 
But um, you asked how the, the NFT universe ties with STOs, how are they correlated? One thing I'll throw out there is that some of the technology on Tezos, I just did a panel on this that's, that's way better than, than me on my own from the Security Token Summit event. So if you go to the Security Token Summit YouTube, uh, you should watch that. People who are actually building uh, STOs and STO products and platforms on top of Tezos uh, were on that panel. Um, one thing though that I will say is some of those pieces of the tech that make uh, Tezos unique for NFTs and make it better in many ways for NFTs um, also applies to, to security tokens. A lot of what Kevin said earlier about the continuity and that more stable foundation makes it better for STOs. And um, the one thing about STOs and NFTs that you have to be careful of is NFTs when it's the art side of things, it's just art, it's just collectibles, right? Um, but if you were to fractionalize that art, all of a sudden it could become a security. So that's something that Hester Peirce, the commissioner of the SEC, actually warned people against at our security token summit. Yeah. So pay attention to that. More, it becomes something when it becomes more of like a fungible. Becomes, uh, uh, you know, I buy Mona Lisa. I have certain rights, and I own it, and it's a collectible, and it's a thing like that, right? And I yeah. own Mona Lisa. But if Kevin and I and a group of 10 more people decide to all pitch in and own the Mona Lisa together to then sell it in a few years and get the gains or to do certain things with it and collect um, the royalties and split them amongst us, um, then it becomes a security. So that, that's something you just have to be careful of. But I do know that because digital art is easier to transfer, easier to deal with and whatever, there probably will be STOs soon with baskets of digital art or one piece of digital art that is um, tokenized and that's going to be fun because then you can do all sorts of things in terms of distributing rewards and doing things you can't uh, technically do yeah. otherwise. And somebody else said uh, that Tezos DeFi is about to get exciting over the next month. Yes, it mm -hmm. will. Uh, then the key is going to be, I believe, will be when Tezfin launches uh, and that'll be the compound like lending system on Tezos. Compound, Ave, whatever you want to call it. Work into to compound, I'd say. Uh, to, to get that, we need uh, the Florence upgrade uh, because that's going to offer depth-first search. So that's really, really important. That that's uh, for what we're doing. Um, and then after that, uh, like just a whole world explodes. I mean, we're talking about just layers and layers being enabled of yield farming and derivatives and all that stuff that just wouldn't have been possible before because we didn't have a lending system yet. Um, like with, with Cal, uh, uh, Calibri, you could do so much. Uh, just look where, look what uh, you could do on Compound with Dai. Like that, that can give some kind of idea. Um, yeah, and and just means so much more. I mean, so much more liquidity will come into both uh, Dexter uh, and Quipu Swap. We'll have that uh, big, big upgrades with Tezex actually too. Uh, not just uh, uh, in terms of like the what's enabled, like XTZ swaps, token to token swaps, but also. Uh, yeah, a beautiful design interface. We have Navi on the design team has just been like, you know, I've been seeing the previews for it. It is so beautiful, uh, very different. I like keeping the bar very, uh, uh, you know, low with it. That's why if you go to uh, Tezx Bridge now, it's like, yeah, it's like there's, yeah, there's a certain uh, amount of just get it out there and then uh, yeah. It's the user experience and the, the design as you go. And that, I think that's important, like, if, you know, on the way that we discussed earlier, right? You don't right. want to sit there and tweak things to try to make them perfect for months uh, when 
you still also don't know what the users exactly want and how they're going yeah. to interact and, and deal with it. It takes too much time. Uh, it's really expensive to change after you make a polished design at a time when you want to be able to move stuff around very, very quickly. Uh, and also those first few months, you know, it informs what's a better design. Okay, yeah. you, need, you need that experience to understand what's gonna what's gonna be done. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I just want to say go to uh, Kevin's company, Stable.Tech, and you'll be able to consortium, I'd say, uh, which is a bunch of companies, including Cryptonomic, Wealthchain, which is my company. Uh, uh, yes, all the other favorites you'll see. Bolt Labs, uh, which is the newest entrant to it, and they've been doing the zk channels. Uh, so you'll be able to do uh, you know zk channel payments with USD Tez, uh, ETH Tez, uh, yeah. And so not just uh, it's not just Zcash anymore. You can start doing that on Tezos pretty soon. So that's, that's really exciting. So go to stable.tech for links to all of those things. I have to throw out also um, that uh, we do a ridiculous amount of events, uh, over 100 if you count what the block and blockchain and booze every week. Um, but so go to drapergorenholm.com slash events because uh, I do this every Friday morning. Adam does blockchain and booze every Tuesday night. And we just did our uh, security token summit, but we have global DeFi summit coming up. Then in August, we're gonna have the NFT summit. And then of course, at the end of the year, our big, big, big event, the LA blockchain summit, which you know, is uh, we, I think we can't unring this bell of making it free and virtual uh, around the world um, for everyone, but we'll, we'll find out over the next couple of months if we'll get to do it in real life. But it's definitely yeah. going to always be live streamed and virtual and free from this point on, regardless. With blockchain and booze, like I can say, yeah, I've been a guest on a show where, you know, a few weeks later, Mark Cuban, Miami mayor. Right. Right. <laughs> so uh, that's blowing up. So yeah, it is blowing up. Adam is doing dropping on that show. Adam is doing a killer job, and it's oh getting better. And uh, um, so hey, Kevin, thank you so much. Um, everyone who who is still online watching, come hang out with us at noon on on Kevin's Clubhouse chat. It's in the DeFi channel of Clubhouse. And uh, if you if you follow us on Twitter, you'll you'll get uh, a bunch of alerts when we're going live and all that stuff. But I will. Uh, Arthur is going to be on that, by the way. Arthur Brightman will be uh, uh, the special guest of that uh, of that clubhouse room. And for Android people, I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, there's an open source version for uh, clubhouse for Android. I'm not advising people use it, but I'm just saying it exists. Yeah, you know what? We uh, it's mind blowing that they haven't launched that yet, but um, uh, hopefully soon. Uh, we can we do the the other chats all the time to uh, that uh, through through the other system just follow us on on Twitter I try to participate as much as I can Kevin does them even more um, I'll, I'll talk to you guys soon thank you everyone for for listening make sure to subscribe and all that fun stuff on uh, on the LA blockchain summit YouTube and LinkedIn and uh, thank you so much see you all soon this has been a production of Industry Pods in association with Evergreen Podcasts Network. Hear this and other industry pods at evergreenpodcasts.com, your favorite podcast app, or listen at industrypods.com for your number one virtual conference podcast experience.